created live on Fireside. Hi everyone, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to it. This is Doing It Sober Live, broadcasting to every corner of the world on a fireside chat. From the Cathedral, also known as my Ministry of Sound in Southern Africa, my name is Chris Snell. Normally I'm one half of today's show, my cohort in crime, my partner in crime, Daniela Park, is absent this week, so I'll be running this show solo, and it's a privilege. But uh, you know what? I'm beaten to the punch yet again by our newest guest, Sandra Lee. Sandra, welcome. We'll get to you in a second. We're going to take this time now to introduce our guest with a premise, though. Let me just get the document open up here in front of me. You're going to enjoy this lady indeed. I mean, look at that smile. You can't feign a smile like that. But a smile like that comes, of course, after a lifetime of suffering. PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is a clinical term which had been derived from the informal term shell shock, which in turn first saw the light when wounded young soldiers returned home from the battlefield. This condition consists of distress that a sufferer experiences, related to a trauma that has been buried beneath the surface until it ultimately boils over. That, I should add, is layman's terms. In modern times, the battlefield needn't be littered with either mortar shells, foxholes, and corpses but simply rather maybe a fist flying or even mean words that had been spewed across the room. Let's delve into the subject of delicacy, and for that we have expert Sandra Lee, whom will help navigate the rough waters. Miss Lee, by trade, is a registered nurse while also holding field experience as a former sufferer of anxiety and depression, and also she has experienced her own treachery at the hands of PTSD, which had been... Uh, a culmination in combating addiction. Since her ultimate revival, Miss Lee has established the NPO Love and Light to the world and made a name for herself subsequently as a multi-hyphenate in entrepreneurship, coaching, and she has also stepped into the field of writing and is even a seasoned motivational speaker. In the conversation to follow on this episode, Sandra will speak on namely resilience, recovery, and she will also help pull the mantle on a condition of which the term is becoming either a littered phrase or perhaps an argument with a need to be addressed in society today. Sandra, the floor is yours. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to meet you. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll just get started with my story. Um, uh, yeah, so I, uh, was a, I'm a registered nurse, and uh, what happened for me was I started out in the emergency department, and I did trauma nursing. And as a trauma nurse, you see things and experience things um, that are quite traumatic. And actually, I expect. Yes. And so we're actually trained to, uh, your system is kind of trained to not process that. Uh, you could walk out of a room you know, where you saw something traumatic and were involved in something traumatic and lost a life and you would have to have no expression. You would have to uh, walk into the next room to your other patient like nothing happened. And so over time, not processing those things and letting those pile up and pile up um, traumatic emotional experiences, uh, after probably about five years in the emergency department, I uh, started to experience um, PTSD. I started to have nightmares of these cases, uh, these things that really affected me in the time that I never really processed. I never really took the time 
to to deal with them or work through them. Um, so I would have treacherous nightmares of these cases and these patients would literally haunt me in my dreams. And uh, it was it was pretty brutal. Um, that actually also turned into having panic attacks at work. Uh, that turned into struggling with anxieties and depression and like the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So I actually started having panic attacks at work and I suffered in silence uh, because of a lot of mental health stigma and, you know, just the culture of, you know, social condition stigma where people don't talk about it. Um, and, and because of my profession, because I, you know, had all these thoughts or all these, you know, these things that my job would be affected or, um, just different things. And I'm a nurse, we help people. So it didn't feel natural for me to ask for help. So I suffered in silence, which was the worst thing I could have ever done. Um, so right around that time, uh, after experiencing that, uh, those traumas and that PTSD showing symptoms, showing face and just wreaking havoc in my life, um, that kind of led to, you know, me not addressing it or not seeking treatment, uh, led to a brutal divorce. It led to just my life really going downhill very quickly. And then I suffered multiple different uh, emotional traumas during that time and not, not coping and still um, suffering in silence, I, uh, I turned to addiction to help relieve the symptoms by self-medicating, which a lot of people do. Of course, to numb. Yes, yes. And uh, I abused uh, prescription medications. And about two years after I abused the medications, I literally had this thought I was laying in bed and I just had this thought, what are you doing with your life? And it was that day that I decided to get up and change my life. That is the first time that I asked for support. I called my husband and I said, I have a problem. I need help. And uh, that was the most courageous thing I've ever done. Of course it is. Of course it is. You know, I've often spoken about this a lot ever since I delved into the recovery community myself overseas. Admitting that you have a problem in society today is seen as, if I could use uh, a polite word for shorthand, it's seen as a weakness. But again, it depends on who you uh, open up to. But when the chips are down and your back is against the wall, you know, it's it's very scary when you ultimately... um, you ultimately decide to open up about your previous afflictions and admitting what it is that is hurting you. And I'm using not highfalutin words. I often speak in estuary English, but I'll I'll tone that down for the sake of this topic because this is something that is starting to become a whole lot more prevalent in society today. If I could just paint with a broad brush for a couple of seconds. You know, in the intro I spoke about shell shock. Now, commonly today, the medical term is uh, PTSD. Now we have CPTSD uh, as well. So that stress from not being able to comprehend what has happened to you. I mean, I've certainly had that in my life. I've survived an armed robbery. I've seen so many dead bodies on the road. 
because of either they've been run over by a car or they've been overdosing under a bridge, all their criteria. No one has, unless you've been in that similar situation, one can never fully comprehend exactly the, again, if I overuse the word, please forgive me, the stress that one exactly feels. And I mean, you were a, a medical nurse in the trauma unit. You know, earlier today, I was watching a wonderful documentary. It's one of my favorites about uh, the stuntman, Kane Hodder, who experienced a, uh, a burn accident when he was rather young and the horrors. Uh, Kane Hodder played Jason in Friday the 13th. Um, hmm. That horrors of what he had experienced because he was in a medical center that was understaffed. It wasn't uh, top of the range at the time for uh, treating burn victims. And still to this day, more than 20 years later, he still has lingering memories of what has hurt him. But before I completely digress off the subject, you have gone on to study this subject rather extensively, and you've spoken on it extensively. Differentiate what is PTSD and how is it dissimilar from CPTSD? So... PTSD is, uh, it's the response to the stressor, to one specific stressor. PTSD is the response to, like, many, and it's, it's more complicated because it would be many traumas, and so it's harder to treat. Okay, I see. Now, when you have officially been diagnosed, and I'm assuming this is through a counselor, or through a psychiatrist, that you have just PTSD. Yes. What would be the first matter of recourse to try and get better? We're not. I'm not saying that this condition will go away, lickety-split, but seeking treatment is the start of getting better in the long run. How does one go about doing that, Sandra? Yes. So for me, um, I actually uh, I sought... Um, psychiatry and psychology and right. I at first was put on multiple medications but after I started with um, psychology I started treatment I did um, I believe the letters mix up in my mind but I believe it's called EMDR you hit the nail on the head, EMDR yes, therapy. I've yes. also so been hearing did, a lot about uh, EMDR. Yes. So I did a lot of EMDR therapy, and then I also did cognitive behavioral therapy as well. Okay. Yes. That and then still talk a therapy. One. Yes. Talk therapy, you said? Yep. Okay. Now, I've heard a lot of bad things about talk therapy because I'm assuming, and I'm speaking as an outsider here, Miss Lee, that's why I have you in the show. Yes. That talk therapy is basically getting outage of the turmoil that you can't speak to uh, in your normal social circle. Mm -hmm. Why is it that talk therapy is disputed versus other uh, treatments in psychiatry for treatment of mental health disorders? Hmm. Is that a trick question? It is a trick question. <laughs> no, my brain's just trying to compute it. Um, can you repeat that again? Okay. What? Why do you think a lot of people have shown adversity to talk therapy in comparison to other more established therapies to help treat PTSD and other mental health disorders? Oh, I'm going to say 
I believe, in my opinion, is because a lot of talk therapy um, puts a lot of focus on, like, the actual trauma and just keep, you know, the conversation just keeps going about that. As for where the other ones, the other treatments, focus on maybe changing your mindset, changing your, uh, your habits, focusing on different things and not focusing on the trauma, which actually in doing other things, it, it heals the trauma. I see. I see. Mm-hmm. When did you decide to actually become more prevalent in starting to talk about the origins of PTSD and how to treat it? Um, I would say after, after treatment, after I did a lot of treatment, after I, what really helped me and what really helped me open up and heal uh, was transformational life coaching. And oh, right. yes, yes. And so I have been, um, I have been in transformational life coaching for a little over two years and, uh, no way. yes. And I've had multiple coaches. I, I've uh, invested in top transformational life coaches. And I would say that my life transformation and my recovery of PTSD and, and a lot of that mainly comes from the things that I've learned in those programs. I so for me, personally, that's what helped me the most. Well, I appreciate you giving that answer, which I think is very mature, because what you're also implying as well is what has worked for you. Yes. There might be a little bit something else that would be of a better suit to someone else who has had the yeah. same circumstance that you've had. This is just yeah, an opinion yeah. from me to you, and I'm not judging. Remember, I'm a communicator. Yeah. I'm open-minded. <laughs> I will learn anything, and ultimately I will suss out for myself what works for me, but never as a communicator will I ever, you know, say one finite recipe is what works and I'll shove it down your throat because I know it works for me and it should work for you because we're exactly the same in my perverted mind. After all, that's the addict speaking. Um, Where was I going with this? I ran away with myself (laughs) for a second. The train left the station. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's okay. I was talking about uh, how coaching really helped me and the things that right. I've learned in coaching. Yeah. But what I love about the subject of coaching, you can agree with me on this because you've been in the medical field for mm. an extensive period of time. There's been a dilapidated sense of the following. If you are qualified in a given area in the form of treatment, you know, that was the way to go. If you were sick, you went to the doctor, the doctor prescribes you medicine, you go home. And you pay the doctor a lump sum fee off of your medical plan and you're supposed to get better. Nowadays, the lines are imperatively blurred or incomprehensively blurred, to correct myself there grammatically for that fault. It's starting to become a point of people are turning away from professionalized practice of medicine. Why? Because it's clinical. But in starker contrast, take someone like you who has that medical knowledge, surely, but you also have the field experience. And I've advocated this now for the last couple of years. If you combine knowledge with first-hand experience, that, in my opinion, along with empathy, because you can naturally empathize with your patients or the people that you talk to, it will deliver a much more uh, desired result. Your thoughts on that, Ms. Lee? Yeah, I fully agree. I absolutely fully agree. And, um, Actually, after I started recovery, I I never went back to the emergency department that I that I quit. Good on um, you. I now 
I now um, am a resilience coach and I bring my professional and my personal experience uh, to my clients and I'm just getting started with that. Um, but I also work at a clinic now for mental health and I uh, provide trauma-informed care as a nurse. Wonderful. Can I ask, your trauma care nursing, does it even extend to uh, victims of GBV, gender-based violence? Yes. I don't have an extensive knowledge on that, but the the clinic that I work at does. Oh, I see. Yes. Now, the reason I, I ask is as well as um, another thing which I think should be discussed more in society is the after effects of narcissism. You oh, will know. Yes. Yes, nail that's, on the head. That's why I asked. Yes. That's the reason why I asked. Uh, just from me to you, have you ever seen that miniseries that recently saw the light called Dirty John based on the podcast by jo uh, Chris Gifford? No, but I'm going to write it down. What's it called? Dirty John? Dirty John. It's, it extends two seasons. Now that, in my humble opinion, is it's like sleeping with the enemy with Julia Roberts in long form. But this is a true story about a woman who had met a guy online. It was a shotgun romance and a shotgun wedding. And the moment that they tied the knot had a beautiful penthouse and look overlooking uh, Laguna Beach. I almost said Malibu. Uh, overlooking Laguna Beach, all the cracks started coming out. Uh, violent temperament, violent behavior, psychological manipulation. And between yeah. you and I, not to divert this away from PTSD, but it does go hand in hand if you pay attention. Uh, this woman was gaslit second to nothing. And um, he had control over their security. He had control over their bank accounts, etc., etc., etc. Now, men and women who move on from a narcissistic relationship have post-traumatic stress disorder themselves because they lose their self-image. And that recurring yes. memory uh, consistently plays out in their head. And I don't want to speak out a, um, a death throw, but I'd like to, to say that that is almost a sort of lifelong curse. Yeah, uh, I've actually experienced narcissistic abuse myself. Um, oh, no way. Yes, I have. <laughs> um, and that is, that is, um, that is a, 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 yeah, that is a recovery process as well. Mm. Now, mm -hmm. to bring it back to the topic at hand, and forgive me, Miss Lee, I didn't want to stir this conversation off into no, another direction. No, you're fine. Whatever you but feel led to discuss. But I just couldn't help bringing that up because I've been listening to you speak, and you know, as a communicator, often my job is to connect one plus one to try and see if it will give me two and not eleven. Yes. But back to that, to the to the to the uh, disorder of post-traumatic stress. Yes. For our audience, what exactly are the signs to look out for? Ah, uh, flashbacks, increased anxiety. Um, what else off the top of my head? Uh, for me, it was, uh, I went into bouts of depression. I had, uh, panic attacks. Um, cold, I would have cold sweats and I would also wake up in the middle of the night panicking. Uh, for those, for me, all of those started like at the same time and that's how the PTSD started. I can relate to that. In 2011, I was held in my house in an armed robbery. I was 19 years of age in, wow. uh, with my mother and father. Okay. Um, a couple of years later, we found out my father had concocted that robbery to commit insurance fraud. Oh. But 
for many years until the time that I got into recovery myself, mm-hmm. like you said, suffered from profuse panic attacks, uh, yeah. the night sweats, and plus also the, that um, uh, clammy palm. Just in any sort of setting, the clammy palm is just god-awful. And it would be even a cold day I would, I would have gotten them. So I see a, 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 a sibilance of similarity in a lot of our stories. Now, with PTSD, it is a very difficult condition to diagnose, I'm assuming, because the sufferer doesn't know that they uh, have this condition stemming from uh, a trauma that is buried under, because what do we do in society? We we tend to shove it beneath the surface, as I mentioned in the intro, ultimately it boils over. And I know in my heart of hearts that this is a very sensitive subject. But should a time come where the pot boils over, either if I could just use some silly examples, you can't concentrate whatsoever, your professional and your personal life begin to blur with one another, and yes. that your back is just simply against the wall, as a registered nurse and a specialist, uh, speaking on resilience coaching and diagnosis of PTSD, what would be the first port of call in seeking help? Uh, it would be... See, for me, I would go right to a psychologist. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's what I would go right to a psychologist. Um, you could go to your family doctor, just in case, so they can rule out anything medical. Uh, right. That's a- so a professional opinion would be go to your medical doctor, your family doctor first, so they can rule out anything medical, and then they will send you to a psychologist. Now, I guess my personal speaking, I'd go right to a psychologist. So that's so I guess I had two answers for that. <laughs> well, more than one is always welcome. Yeah. Now, let's quickly go back to from the time that you realized you had PTSD moving on forward. How has your life changed ever since recovering from that and recovering from addiction for the better I'm referring to? Oh, dramatically. I mean, my life, it's, it's, I'm living a dream. Um, I have never been so happy and so grateful and just fulfilled in life than I am now. And it's almost, I don't want to say, no, I mean, I guess it is. All of our experiences, I believe, um, can be blessings in disguises. And mm. if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I wouldn't have this deep empathy and compassion to be able to help other people and be able to unmute silent voices. Um, so my life has just changed so much. I can understand. Um, yes. You said as part of your recovery, you ultimately quit the medical practice altogether. Um, did you perhaps go back to school to to write a thesis on PTSD? Did you um, go to a college to study more on the condition and obtain a certification to study more? What was your route? No. So my route uh, for studying PTSD was working very closely and studying hand, firsthand from a physician that I work with. Okay. Yep. That's, that's how I did it. And actually, after I left the emergency department, uh, I got a job and I did uh, case management. I facilitated care for traumatic brain injury while I was trying to heal the PTSD on my own, I guess. But uh, So I did that. And then after that, 
um, is when I started with the clinic and mentorship with the physician I work with. Okay, so you ultimately uh, underwent and now you are busy with a mentorship to train other people, I'm assuming. Yes, yes. And so what I basically train is um, is resilience, resilience building after PTSD and after addiction. It's, it's mainly... Um, like, I don't treat it. I don't have certification to, like, treat it. But it's somebody okay. who's healing from it. Um, I, I help with, uh, with mindset exercises and different daily routine things of healing that help. Um, a whole, just different things in coaching on how to change your lifestyle. So it's like re- Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Can you repeat that, Ms. Lee? Yes. So what I teach is resilience building after, uh, like, you know, when you're in recovery, after you start recovery for either mental health or addiction, and you're rebuilding your life, uh, I teach different mindsets, different uh, emotional exercises, different uh, routines, uh, things like that to build, to help you build your resilience back up. Well, I like that. I like that very much. Do you see yourself perhaps becoming an educator and perhaps teaching these techniques, maybe let's say a tertiary level, like at a college or at a university? Maybe one day, maybe one day. But right now I feel more called to uh, to speak. Uh, I speak internationally and I have a passion to speak about my story to inspire and encourage others to speak up mm-hmm. for help. Um, so that's kind of my passion. And that's I kind see. of what right now is, and you know, unmuting voices yeah. and suffering in silence. Yeah, that's where no, my Naturally, of course. Is. Naturally, of course. And yeah. I can appreciate you for that. When exactly did you kick off your speaking career? Did it happen by chance or how did you go about no, doing that? I actually, in recovery, I went to a speaking academy um, <laughs> do they have those now? <laughs> they do have speaking academies. They help you build your speaking business. They help you write. <laughs> they do I like that. Yeah. So, and I, when I started recovery, I had a new love for learning and I didn't want to, uh, further my nursing career, um, like to go back into a clinical setting. So I wanted to, uh, build skills where I could help people in a different way. So I learned how to write and uh, write a book, and uh, I also uh, went to speaking academy. <laughs> Forgive me, I can't get my head around that there's now a speaking academy, because the reason I say that is I'm a yes. former radio DJ, and uh, they taught us how to speak over the microphone by literally reading out loud. So okay. uh, I'm I'm totally for it that there's a speaking academy. I think there are a lot of people who... Uh, misjudge that they actually have a career with their mouth. And I mean, you, yourself, you're extremely eloquent, so oh, so humble. And um, I love the fact that you have discovered new gifts yes. after going through so much of, of drama and uh, that you gave yourself permission, if that is the correct wording, to, yes. to, 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 to discover these gifts and ultimately to give back, which in my opinion kicks in like a like a gear to a car. It comes without thinking. Would you agree yes. on that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely agree. Now tell me, uh, Sandra, 
in your dealings with people and speaking on on PTSD, do you normally have a did you aim at, at speaking exclusively for women or did you also want to ultimately make it unisex? What was your, your target audience initially or was it just first come, first serve, whoever? Yeah, actually when I speak, um, I, I speak to, to all audiences, uh, male and female. I've spoken at multiple recovery Wonderful. centers. Uh, so recovery centers, events. Um, I'm actually a part of Empowered to Recover Canadian Tour. Oh, is... from Jay Barnard. Yes. yes. Jay Barnard's my surrogate brother. He is. He is. Awesome. So I'm one of his speakers. Oh, his man, tour. I'm so jealous. Yeah, so I will be, um, I keep wanting to say Vancouver, but it's. I think it's... Um, Either Vancouver or Gibson's. No, I just looked at the location again today. It's at the Anvil Center. Oh man, he's gonna kill me. <laughs> anyway, it's um. Anyway, it's November nineteenth, and yes, yeah, so I'm a part of oh, that, yeah. and it's uh, it's really exciting just because I kind of just put myself out there as a speaker, and my audience finds me. Tours find sure. me. Recovery centers, just whoever, whoever feels that I can help their audience, they reach out to me and I speak. Well, I mean, when you must get those speaking engagements, it must be like, wow, that, this must be manna from heaven. Now, I want to yes. touch on something which is which I think integral in uh, recovery is a sense of humor. You know, yes. there's a beautiful documentary that uh, Kevin Pollock, the comedian, made, and it's so aptly titled Misery Loves Funny, or Comedy Loves Misery, either one of the two. that's... <laughs> 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 and that's how comedians, I think, can come up with the best material. Look, my humble opinion is humor doesn't have any sort of limit. You know, if you are accustomed to delivering a joke in a rather filthy fashion, that's your niche. That's your talent. But yes. then again, it's not meant to be filthy. It's just meant to be brutally honest. On the flip side, though, you can even have clean humor and deliver the desired effect. It's each to his own. Uh, when you speak, I'm sure there are times when you are being serious to highlight the the, 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 the harsh reality, but I'm sure mm -hmm. there, are, there must be times where you also need to be lighthearted to just alleviate the, the somberness of it all. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. I uh, After certain parts of my stories, and depending on the audience, I don't dive too... I, I guess depending on the audience is how deep I dive in my story and in certain things. Uh, but yes, absolutely. I lighten it up with, uh, I use humor and I also uh, use inspiration and encouragement. Well, and I like that. Yep. Um, I need to ask this as well. As a speaker, do you prep your, your talks beforehand or do you just go on stage and you wing it? Uh, so I usually, so I wing it. That's my best answer. I wing it because I feel like the message I deliver is based on who's in the audience or what I feel in the moment. Um, I don't have like a long written script or anything like that, but I do have like a focused uh, kind of outline where I do an introduction. I do a part of the story. Then I give an encouragement and inspiration. Then we do an affirmation. So I have like, a, I guess, a framework, you would say. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, like, the specific words kind of just flow when I'm on stage. 
Well, I like that. I like that. It's not uh, like you, you completely go out and wing it. It's you give yourself a, a, a framework to live by. I mean, we're talking about Jay. I mean, the moment that he starts talking, you can't get him to shut up. It's funny because I have a meeting with him tonight after my, uh, I have a non-profit board meeting after this, but then after that, I have a meeting with him. (laughs) So you can tell him I I was with you tonight. (laughs) He knows exactly who I am. He's done my solo show so many times, you know. Awesome. Jason, Jason has helped me to stop lying about addiction. And sure, he has pioneered a new practice to try and also uh, eliminate stigma completely. Yes. Whether it be mental health or drug addiction and so on and so forth. And God love him for that. God love him for that. But, you know, I I jokingly say that you can't get him to shut up once he starts talking. But that is his natural gift. That is his natural gift. And according to, to Jay... Uh, he has never used cue cards or a framework whatsoever. He knows his story, and he can just tell it chrono- uh, chronologically. And he has a gift for sussing out the audience. So he'll filter his story in so many words, but ultimately it'll be an entertaining experience. And yes. no matter what, uh, audi- he'll walk away with the biggest audience applause known to man. And I say this with all respect in my heart. I'm so excited for you, and I'm excited for TJ Sheehan, uh, Talon, who you know as well from Bionics, babe, and um, mm-hmm. Adam Carroll. Yeah, it seems like this. It's going to be a. It's going to be a a roaring, roaring, roaring success. Yeah, I'm excited for you all to to practice your talents. Sure, the yes. overlying message is providing hope, but you guys using your gift to share your story. That's what I'm referring to. Um, yeah, I couldn't be more proud of each and every one of you. Thank you. I'm honored to be a part of that. Jay with Empowered to Recover and his Hype Recovery Coaching partnered with my nonprofit. And so a few of the people that are with Empowered to Recover are also partners for my nonprofit. And it's just amazing. And it's amazing to be a part of something like this, which I sometimes start to get emotional because when I look Please back. Do. Please do. Please do, Sandra. You know, two and a half years ago when I was addicted and, you know, suffering in silence and to what my life is now. And I'm just thankful and grateful that I get to help people that are where I was two and a half years ago. And uh, I get emotional, so I'm sorry. No, why should you feel sorry? No, no, please. It's a badge of honor. It's a badge of honor. I understand you completely, Sandra. On that subject, tell me more about your NPO, Love and Light to the World. Yes. All right. So this is my this is my baby, my passion. Uh, so when I started recovery and I joined the life coaching group, um, I found hope again, and I started to believe in myself. And I, after not nursing or not doing anything, I had no plans for the future. And I was blessed with a dream to uh, open a nonprofit organization and help save lives. And as I recovered on my journey, um, 
I started to build this organization. And so I recovered out loud. I built my organization out loud. So along the way, I got supporters. And everyone in my group were just so inspired by my journey. They became my supporters, volunteers, directors on my board. And I actually started out making t-shirts in my friend's garage. And all people started wanting my t-shirts. And I can remember being so excited that somebody wanted my message. And so I was mailing out all these t-shirts and um, kind of just, you know, building as I went along. And even on my darkest days, I would look on social media and I would see one of my supporters with a yellow shirt on. And that visible support for me carried me through my darkest days. And so I created an awareness project called the Light It Up Project. And it's wearing a yellow band for awareness and support and unity for mental health and addiction, which provides visible support for anyone struggling or suffering. And this has saved two lives that we know of so far this project. Oh, wow. Yes. Yes. And so my organization, um, because we we just had a 501 about six months ago, and Wonderful. it took me a while to put all the pieces together, but uh, it's, tomorrow is actually like our grand opening, and we have oh, services wow. to offer to help the public, and it's uh, it's exciting. It's so exciting. And I'm excited with you, and I'm elated for you. Now, as an NPO, do you sell apparel? Do you guys provide workshops? What exactly is the MO of Love and Light to the World? Yes. So, Love and Light to the World, our vision is for the world to come together in unity under one color and one hashtag. Uh, Our mission is to light the world up with love creating awareness and providing support and education for mental health and addiction. And mm-hmm. our awareness project has mostly turned into like a movement and in, in the United States and Canada. So we're starting to call oh, it. The yeah. So we're starting to call it the movement of love and light instead of the lighted up project. Um, so, <laughs> I like that. Yes. So uh, our services, we have a uh, support platform called Rockstar Testimony on social medias and daily. You can find encouragement, inspiration, wellness tips. We have, we are launching free virtual peer support groups where we'll have one support group every single day starting tomorrow on different subjects, different topics. These are healing circles with anonymous option uh, held on Zoom. We have free wellness workshops. Yes, I'm so excited. And we have free wellness workshops starting. And what else do we have? There's so many things we're starting to offer. Um, we offer uh, coaching, free coaching resources. We On our website, you can find uh, uh, links for resources for mental health and addiction. And we're raising funds to launch the HOPE Scholarship, which is raising funds for... Uh, treatment and abstinence-based coaching so we can gift those scholarships to people. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Now, just, a, just a quick knee slapper just to switch it into a more uh, light-hearted 
gear. Yes. Someone told me a story many moons ago. Uh, the late Tom Schneider, the American broadcaster, speaks on... Uh, he had been sent a story by a listener from a lady who had been sitting in a restaurant, and she was waiting for a date, and without warning, she accidentally passed gas. And <laughs> in an attempt to try and get the embarrassment away from her, she yelled at the waiter, stop that. He said, lady, which way is it heading? <laughs> so that in itself is the definition of movement. <laughs> I have to... Uh, Sandra, as we bring this to a close, um, I know life is impossible to determine. We, you know, in the program, we live one day at a time. But let's yes. say hypothetically, you have the next five years planned out. What would it play out for you like with your journey, your resilience coaching, with your NPO? How does five years look from now? Five years from now, I will. Five years from now, I have a multi-million dollar nonprofit that has saved hundreds of thousands of lives with the Awareness Project that has put thousands of people through treatment and coaching. Um, I've spoke on thousands of stages all around the world to help people unmute silence and, and eliminate suffering. Yeah, I think that's what five years looks like for me. <laughs> and if this program lasts five years, I want you back on the show to tell us all about it. With that, yes. Sandra, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming onto the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. All the best to uh, your endeavors and all the best of luck when you and TJ and company and Tim Lodgen, who did the show last week, yes. uh, take to the stage in November. We're with you in spirit and we believe in you and we ask Never stop fighting the good fight, and you're always welcome back. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. I loved being here. Loved meeting you. And I loved meeting you, sweetheart. And with that, that was Doing It Sober Live for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you couldn't make the live broadcast, you are more than welcome to tune in to the On Demand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You make me sound so delirious but that should actually go to my guest uh, as I was saying if you caught if you missed out on the live broadcast on fireside chat you're more than welcome to catch up on the podcast on demand on Apple podcasts Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts look after yourself have a blessed week and until we see you next Tuesday remember life is better when you're doing it sober from myself Chris Snell in the cathedral it's bye-bye for now <laughs>